Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige movie. This time we're going to talk about, going to be talking about uh, the movie Castaway. Uh, this is the 20th anniversary. Can't believe it. 20, 20th anniversary of the movie Castaway starring Tom Hanks, uh, where a ambitious FedEx employee gets marooned on a desert island in the South Pacific. Um, it was directed by Robert Zemeckis. We all know Robert Zemeckis, right? Mr. Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Mr. Back to the Future, Mr. Romancing the Stone, Mr. Forrest Gump. Uh, you know, that's the other cl- big, big, big uh, Oscar collaboration that he had with uh, Tom Hanks. Uh, screenplay by William Broyles Jr., uh, who was one of the writers on China Beach. Uh, also wrote Apollo 13, Entrapment. Planet of the Apes, The Polar Express, uh, and was one of the uh, writers of Saving Private Ryan. Uh, it starred Tom Hanks, Helen Hunt, and a little bit of Nick Searcy. Searcy? I can't remember how to pronounce this game. It's, uh, yeah. or this guy's name. It's uh, Art, uh, Raylan Givens' boss from Justified. Yep. Uh, and that's it. It's it's 99% Tom Hanks, uh, all by his lonesome, sharing, t- sharing the screen with the volleyball. Jim... I don't know how long it's been since you've seen this movie. I'm pretty sure you've seen it before. What was it like seeing it again? What did you think of it? Has time improved your recollection or or estimation of this film or what? Uh, time hasn't improved it, but that's not to say that I don't enjoy it. Like It's kind of an amazing movie, uh, but I thought that when I first saw it. So it, I've seen it a couple times, a few times. I don't know. This is probably third, fourth time I've seen it. And uh, yeah, it, it absolutely holds up. Um there's nothing to really date this movie too much. So like, you know, we still have planes, uh, islands still exist. People still exist. So all this stuff, it's like, Oh, if he had a cell phone, this movie would be ruined. No, no, there, there, you know, no reception on this Island. So I don't know. It it really holds up 20 years later, I think. Yeah. I mean, pagers being the state of their technology was, was a little bit of a, what the hell, but Sure. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I thought so too. Um, I remember this film being a really absorbing film. You know, I wouldn't believe that uh, there's so little talking in two thirds of this movie. Mm-hmm. But I guess it doesn't surprise me because in the last few years, I found it really relaxing and rewarding to watch channels where guys essentially do stuff like this. I'm thinking of the guy in Australia, Primitive Technology. He doesn't even talk during his videos. He just sits and, you know, makes mud bricks and huts and bows and arrows and all kinds of stuff. Uh, this guy lately uh, does the same thing, only with a lot, a little bit more modern gear. Uh, Joe Robin it up in Canada. It's just, I don't know, something about just watching people make fire and, and, and do things in a quiet, kind of purposeful way is relaxing. And this, in an actual survival situation, is even inherently more so. So... I it, it taps into that just kind of like the voyeurism of just just watching people do this these ancient things and rediscover these ways of living and hmm. I think it also works as kind of like a nice little philosophical piece about like yeah. what is important about life and and what are the things that keep us going in in dark times so I, I yeah I I had a the the the, the movie's two and a half hours long it it flies by it felt like about half sure. that. I, I'm I'm shocked that you find this movie in any way relaxing. This movie is beyond stressful for me. Uh, really? Yeah, I watched this movie and I'm I'm Tom Hanks at the beginning of the, the Island Adventure, just 
I'm Tom Hanks trying to make a fire and failing. I'm watching mm. this thing just stressed out of my mind, like this life or death situation, and he's ill-equipped uh, to deal with it, both you know from the stuff he has on hand, but also his skills are just not there. Um, it, this is this is a far cry from dudes with their GoPros uh, posting, <laughs> sh- like like must have internet access, right, to post this shit sure. about like yeah, with yeah, them yeah. in the wilderness. Doing this uh-huh. stuff for fun. Like, this is the exact opposite of that for me. I saw that Australian dude make a silicon chip. It was crazy. I, I wouldn't <laughs> believe it was possible. He had a mud microscope. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> but, I ordered it off Amazon, and they delivered it to him. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I guess um, I I found myself getting really stressed out about the plane crash and, you know, uh, him getting up to walk around and not taking. I mean, there's, a, there's some interesting observations about how he values time even in those moments. Hmm. But, like, once the immediate, like, disaster is over and he washed up on the island, I guess I did. Yeah, I found it, like, very comforting and calming. I guess the other thing is because I wow. knew he gets, you know, I, I knew he gets off Fair. of the island. and yeah, yeah. Uh, I was also wondering, that's the thing I was curious about is like, because I remember being very confused about how I felt about his arrival and how that was handled in the film when I was a much younger man. Hmm. And now I think like, well, that's just because that's a really tough situation for everybody involved. And I feel for everybody. You're talking about his arrival home after the ordeal? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, Holy hell. That's, that's. That is a scenario that is filled with regret, no matter which way it goes. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. 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 So what do you, uh, well, how, how do we want to start here? I guess maybe we should tell people if you haven't seen it, because this is an older film. It's 20 years old um, at mm-hmm. this point. Jesus, we're older people. Um, Tom Hanks is a uh, is a, some kind of Federal Express troubleshooter. FedEx he's a, troubleshooter. He's a fixer. He's a fixer, yeah. If, if uh, someone's murdering a clock somewhere, uh, he's going to go find it. Mm-hmm. And in in his jetting around the world, he gets uh, he's on, he's on a cargo plane because that's what you used to be able to do before nine eleven and FedEx. You could just book a cargo plane and go places. And I, I imagine a jet setting executive like Tom Hanks has spent a lot of time in these. Gets in a South Pacific storms, blown off course, gets the loss treatment. He's the sole survivor of this wreck. Uh, he washes up on a deserted island. And he spends a long, long time there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's it. That's it. That's him just trying to survive on the island and getting off it is the rest of the story. And uh, it's, it's it's pretty good. Uh, where do we want to begin in our deep analysis of the film? Uh, I guess I was curious when you said you found the entire film stressful. Like really? Like like uh like I, I oh, guess yeah. it's maybe designed to be like that and there's like little moments of triumph when he like uh first gets the coconut open with yeah. the, the the rock when he uh makes fire obviously that's a big you know, like one of the few lighthearted scenes in the the film. Yeah. Um but I, maybe it's a good place to start with Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Because he is one of the few, I think, actors that had the the exact tool set. He's got the physical comedy. He's got the kind of the wry observation. He's famously an everyman, so it's easy to project yourself in this situation. And he's got serious dramatic chops that he can really sell the incredible experiences he goes through in the end of the film. Um, yeah, he's 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 the perfect actor for this this film. Yeah, and it's it's 
you know, you think of uh, movies getting sort of cast uh, after the the concept has been developed and they have a screenplay and everything, but this kind of seemed to be spearheaded by Hanks in a large part. Like, I know he kind of had this idea of like exploring uh, hope and uh, hopelessness, essentially, um, and and had this idea about like the the island thing, and he took it to the writer and they put together a script for it and. That's kind of the opposite way uh, that I think stuff usually gets made. But Tom Hanks is uh, Hollywood as fuck, right? Like, yeah, he's he's uh, a big uh, known quantity in Hollywood, not just for he's got on screen, but off screen stuff, too. So he's he's got what they call juice. He's got some yeah. juice that he can squirt around and, and make things happen. Yeah. Um, so it seems to have been, yeah, the genesis was just he has this idea about like exploring those themes and the, the deserted island was the way to go. Uh, and- yeah, and like the, I, I, the screenwriter had, like they said, they, they, I, I guess like the screenwriter and Zemeckis and, and uh, had like two thirds of the film, essentially all the island stuff figured out. Uh, but they didn't have like a framing device. Like, you know, why would this guy be here? What would this? And Tom Hanks is the guy who I guess. He said he was he was reading something on a flight about the the number of packages to go across the Pacific Ocean in a single day and like all these big jumbo jets full of this packages crisscrossing the Pacific and you know he caught wind of this pro- and it's kind of like that kind of you know that was the thing the secret sauce that they needed um, to, to to get the thing uh, underway and I I assumed that there was a lot of involvement from FedEx in this movie like fedex comes to them and said uh, hey bobby z we got this we got this great idea for a movie it's it's it revolves around our planes and our packages and and the whole storyline is just going to be following this one package from fedex that that finally gets delivered rain snow sleet or desert island uh yeah well deserted island uh, but no, apparently FedEx didn't have much involvement other than letting them shoot in their facilities. Like the, like you said, sure. Tom Hanks was more of the, the inspiration here to, to bring in FedEx. So that really surprised me. And I assumed Wilson had uh, a lot to do with it, but I guess not. Um, I guess that was like the writer <laughs> stranded himself. I, I don't know what this means in, in this context, but stranded himself on a beach in California somewhere for a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, without food or water and one of the things that washed up during this experience he says is this volleyball or a volleyball and so that gave him the idea to make this a character in the film yeah it's um i'd say a pretty a pretty brilliant conceit i guess there's some versions of the script that had essentially bad hanks good hanks kind of like a smeagol and golem kind of separation that you know when they have Mm. internal conversations and like that just reads more bonkers crazy um, it's already bonkers crazy, but like you can kind of tell that Tom Hanks, his character Chuck, is just kind of doing this as a bit, or just like he recognizes that this isn't like normal behavior. But what is normal on a desert island? It that that one level of remove, it first of all adds a lot of comedy to it. Yeah, because uh, you can actually physically have a fight with a ball. You could throw it and fling it. And you can make up with it later. Sure. Um, but I don't know. I wondered. I wonder how to what level the filmmakers knew that they had a hit there with Wilson, because that kind of really captured the public's attention. To this day, you can go on the Wilson Company's website and order for nineteen ninety nine a a Wilson edition volleyball. Like it was. Wow. I mean, he Wilson was on commercials. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, that it, it it really penetrated the the consciousness. It was it it became like a co-star, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it becomes the the audience's window into his uh, what's going on in his mind too, which I think is super important. Yeah, you could do the split of the personalities, but it, it I, a that's been done to death, and b that's a bit of like like you said, it makes him too crazy, but it also feels cheesy in a way. I don't know, maybe because it's been done so often. Um, this felt somehow new and fresh, uh, but gave you that window you really needed into what he's thinking at any given moment and, and his, just his mental state. Yeah. And there's a, it's, I, I would love to know how many designs that went through before they kind of came up with this, because I think there's, there is like, um, if it would have been too crude and like less kind of cute and approachable, it wouldn't have worked. And if it had been, you know, if he had like drawn on it, like he was trying to do the Helen Hunt cave paintings, it would have been weird, but there's something just in that particular design. And even when like Wilson, like when they do the four year flash forward, uh, Wilson's like more feral. He's obviously popped and, but now he's stuffed with coconut and it's just a shock of hair coming out. Like it just, (laughs) the, the design ages with it. And, uh, I don't know. It's something, it's something really iconic. In fact, I wonder if they could charge like, $39.99 39.99 for a Pharaoh Wilson, you know. Sure. Yeah, with the the, 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 straw, the late the stage Wilson. Yeah, maybe the idea is you're supposed to take him on an adventure and 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 he's supposed to get Pharaoh with you. Okay, sure. I'm not staying on any islands for 5 years, but <laughs> fine. Uh this was a big commitment like you know you you, you hear you you talk about this kind of stuff with um ah shit, who's the Batman guy? Christian uh, Bale. Christian Bale, he does this a lot. He goes, he, he he bulks up to play Batman. He slims down to play the machinist. He he gains seventy five pounds in American Hustle. Like he's always going up and down. This is one of the first ones that I remember reading about. Tom Hanks gained fifty pounds to pack on weight uh, for the project. They filmed all the movie up until the four year uh, later jump scene, and then they took a full year off so that Tom Hanks could grow out his hair. Growed his beard into his his crazy wilderness uh, survivor guy look and just get emaciated to lose a lot of weight. He's naturally kind of a thin guy, mm-hmm. and uh, he they just just really went went all in on that. Uh, in fact, this this because of this production stretched so long that Robert Zemeckis took his film crew and made a whole other movie, What Lies Beneath, in the hiatus of this movie, which I, I thought was kind of an, an incredible detail. Uh, I can't imagine like. You know, spending a year of your life, well, probably two years total, filming, fasting, fa- get, getting fat, filming, fasting, getting skinny, going back and filming. I guess the, sh- the, the also the film shut down for like two or three months uh, for the final scenes of him and, you know, getting back to the mainland because he was already tan and he had all that hair. So, yeah, I, I thought that that was that that was cool. And it's, again, something I'd never heard of anyone doing before uh, the castaway business. Yeah, uh, I, I can't help but think you, you talked about the influence of Wilson and and then, you know, this transformation that Hanks does. I can't help but think of Always Sunny when I think of this movie. Uh, <laughs> Mac. Uh, Mac does those transformations, too, right? Like he bulks up. He then gains for no reason either. It's just just <laughs> right. yeah. it's not like he gets not... stranded on an island or anything. No, no, no. There's no storytelling. He's just doing it, I guess. Uh, yeah, so he does that, and then they've got the Rum Ham episode, which obviously is inspired by Will, <laughs> heavily inspired by Wilson. Of course it is. Rum Ham. Yeah. Rum Ham. Uh, it's fantastic. And yeah, the, those two things are inextricably linked in my mind. 
Commission podcasts are an awesome feature here at Bald Move that allows you, the individual listener, to decide what we talk about for a single podcast. The community loves it because it often leads to fun fan-favorite films and TV shows that we've overlooked getting the coverage they deserve. And we love it because we're constantly exposed to great stuff that's not even on our radar. The way it works is simple. You go to support.baldmove.com and you click on commissions. Then you pay the flat rate for the commission and tell us what two-ish hours of content you'd like us to make podcasts on. Then we'll contact you for details, advanced feedback, and any dedications you'd like to make. Then we watch the thing, discuss the thing, turn it into a podcast, and pump it right into your ears. We get consistently great feedback on how much our commissioners love their podcast, and they make great gifts for the dedicated Bald Move fan in your life. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info. I think it's funny that, like, it's a testament to how well the Wilson concept works. That when he goes flying away, and and Tom Hanks, uh, which is give, he giving a really broad grief performance, doesn't. I mean, I I saw it with an audience, I think once or twice. There was no one laughing, you know, because that's an inherently silly scene. It could be parody, you know. It's hilarious when uh, Danny DeVito is bemoaning the fate of Rumham. Uh, right, but. You know, this is uh, this guy losing his soul's form of emotional support for four years. It's a real friend to him. Yeah. Yeah. Those links back to civilization and society and hope really is what it is, um, are super important for the movie. And Wilson is the (laughs) sort of a personification of that in a weird way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you've got the other the other hope uh, signifier, which is that package with the angel wings. So, yeah, right. every time you see those two things, you're thinking, okay, what are they going to do with this? Because, and there's a couple things like that. Um, the, you know, when Wilson floats away, obviously that's like his hope floating away, right? And the, the angel wings rip off his his raft and that's the hope sure. flying away. Like, And then he's essentially, from there on out, he's, he's a dead man. Uh, yeah. It just happens to to float by a, a tanker, and he's picked up. But yeah, they they do a few things like that. Yeah, and I thought there was um, man, this movie is so efficient because there, there, that that loss of hope is gradual. He loses Wilson, then he loses, or no, he loses the sail, then he loses Wilson, and then the next scene after he gets done spending all day grieving, you see him like just giving his paddles to the sea, like that's him. That that's just him finally giving up. Um, but they do, they do it with the flashlight too earlier on when he's in the cave and he falls asleep with the flashlight on and it, it winks out eventually. Yeah. 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 Pisses away a resource. Um, it's, it's interesting because like they, they set that up. The fact that like this, this Island's not that far from a shipping lane because right in the very first movie, you see a boat go by. So the idea is not like he yeah. has to go back to the mainland or another island. He just has to get out there and and if you're in a major shipping lane, there'll be boats and mm-hmm. uh so it's like I remember thinking of how coincidental it was that he was able to be found in the right time, the right place, all that kind of stuff. But when I was watching it, I'm like, you know what? This movie's doing some pretty smart stuff to like answer a lot of those questions. Yeah, including with character development. Um because, uh, you know, you know a thing or two about shipping lanes as a 40-plus-year-old uh, man, right? Like, w- that you yeah. might not have known as a 20-plus-year-old man. Um, sure. So now you you 
see a little bit more into that. But with the character of Chuck, they do some really smart things. You know, he doesn't have the skills uh, like a Boy Scout to build a fire or create, you know, a hut or anything like that. But what he does have is these sailor skills. Because if you look early on in the movie, they don't, they don't even have a conversation about it, nothing. It's just sort of decoration in his house that they feature uh, momentarily. Uh, mm-hmm. Where he has awards for sailing, right? He's got right. Uh, nautical uh, clocks or compasses, maybe as decorations in his house. Like he's an accomplished mm-hmm. sailor. And so later on, when the porta potty sail comes in, and he's like calculating all of these things, like with the the wind and the seasons and all of that, you go, okay, this is a guy who might actually be able to do that. Because me stuck on that island, no way. Absolutely yeah. not. I don't know anything about the seasonal wind patterns. Yeah, no, I thought that was really it, it's there. It's it's all show not tell. So like, if if, if someone's smarty pants, like, oh, this is completely unbelievable. How could this guy? There's plausible answers in the setup. And I talk, I thought like, you know, it's a model of vis- efficiency. They spend less than 15 minutes to set up this guy that he's like this really wound tight, obsessed with time, which is going to be. You know, lavished with resources, short on time, he's going to be completely judo flopped on the other side of being starved of resources with nothing but time. The fact that he's got the tooth that's bad they set up, the fact that he's got this relationship with his girlfriend, uh, the fact that he's kind of like self-obsessed to the fact that like other people who probably are not as close to the Nick Searchy uh, friend character know about his wife and he didn't know at all about it. Uh She's a research scientist, uh, Helen Hunt. So, mm. like, that kind of, like, gives you without, like, the movie, without having to let you know the fact that she didn't finish her PhD dissertation or whatever. She never became doctor, like, a shorthand for her fucking experience that she went through in the four years. Yeah. Uh, them frantically getting their schedule straight to shows, like, how, like, just book time. There's just all this stuff that they're doing to show a particular type of person that Chuck is. Uh, so then when you get to they, they have to they have to front load all of this because there's no plausible way for this to come out other than like <laughs> no. jokes with Wilson once you get to the island. So, you know, it's that's a lot. Of, that's a lot. That's a dense, dense first 15 minutes. And they are also making it like, you know, a, a, a pretty engaging FedEx troubleshooter heroic story, too. Uh, yeah. And there's also stuff about um the. Uh, I don't know what to call her at the end, but Betna, I think, is is the character's name who lives out on the ranch. Uh, and is a oh, steel the angel worker. lady, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, they they do some pretty efficient, uh, almost too efficient stuff there because I, it was only after sitting down and thinking about it for a second that I realized what they were doing with this package uh, with the wings on it coming mm-hmm. from Texas over to Moscow, uh, where it's delivered to this guy who opens the door and takes the package and says, oh, it's for my wife or whatever. That's the guy. And if you look at the sign at the ranch, at the beginning, it says Dick and Betna. At the end, the Dick part is gone and it just says Betna. Oh, shit. I didn't even realize that. So they've broken up in those five years. And that's yeah. why, because he's cheating on her with some uh, Russian Russian woman. floozy. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> Right? So th- they're really efficient in setting that stuff up, too. And Damn. she's not a, really a character, per se. But yeah, no. Yeah, she, she represents a, a potential future for this guy who's had a harrowing experience and lost the love of his life. An epic rebound of nothing else. Oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But uh, I mean, there's all, all, a bunch of other stuff, too, because, like, you know, he essentially proposes to her. So, like, 
they they do all these tricks to just set up the maximum amount of psychological de- damage that this thing could do, and also yeah. give him like plausible stakes for like why you know he would give up hope and then rekindle hope because that's like the, the reading between the lines. Well, it's not even reading between the lines. The movie comes out and says it in the fun, the this the speech that he gives mm. um, to his friend. But like at the three year mark, he tries to kill himself because he realizes that like I even if I get off this island at this point, my life is going to be gone. There's no way that she's going to leave, uh, wait for me. Like this has changed. Like I'm, I, I've gotten control over nothing but in the manner in which I die. And yeah, uh, and, and and like I think there's that's there's interesting little signposts for like all the little pieces of him that he gives away. For example. The when he when he breaks down and opens up the FedEx package, that oh, was him, dude. That was him giving up like model FedEx employee. Like he's no longer thinking, yeah. oh, this is gonna be a hell of a story when I tell Moscow the next time. You and, know? and I noticed like when he's collecting these packages, it's like okay, he's got a, the packages must be delivered right. But then he sits down and he sorts them into piles, but probably yeah. by like airport code, right? Uh, yeah, you, you yeah. And I are he's both doing former a FedEx, FedEx employees. A, We've sure done the sorts. Yeah, uh, I worked he's doing on a sort right there, right there on the beach. He's he's, he's doing a package sort. Yeah, and, right. and, and, and they get absurd. a package sort in the movie prior to this. So you, even if you're not a former FedEx employee, you know what he's doing. Right, there. right. Like a, a disaster sort in the middle of Red Square. Yeah, uh, and but but it's really ridiculous because that's a scene where he's desperate for water, and he, there's a monsoon, and he's using a, a viable way to collect water to protect packages from water. It's ridiculous, and then. Yeah. He gives up a little bit more of himself when he does the math and realizes, oh, my God, they're looking for me over a, a, a size of twice the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. And then there's like just little bits else that he gives away. Uh, and then, you know, notably, it's really haunting when you get to four years later and you just see. I remember in the audience yeah. gasps when people saw the four year later and then, you know, what Tom Hanks had become. It was genuinely kind of shocking. Uh yeah. Uh, in but some it's, ways, it's inspiring, though, too, because like you look at him and and they've just shown you the scenes of him flailing around in the water, uh, th- throwing a spear so, so ineffectually, like this is straight out of a Tom Hanks comedy movie. Uh, right. A- and then the introduction is him spearing this fish first try, no problem. And he's standing yeah, on this rock and nailing it. Beard is waving in the wind. His hair is waving in the wind. He's thin. Just- he's tanned. He's he's you know a machine. He he is built to do. Yeah. He's a survival machine. Yeah, and there's no more joy in the accomplishment. There's no more uh, you know thrill of the hunt. It's just a routine. And then like him like catatonically eating this fish raw. He's not even going to bother eating. The, you know, getting a fire going yeah. for it. He's JSSing. Uh, he's just yeah. surviving somehow. He's just surviving <laughs> what somehow. It comes down to. And then, like, and they do a lot, like, in these survival scenes of, like, portraying um, Tom Hanks as kind of like a 2001 monkey. And I guess some of these scenes were deliberate because uh, 2001 is one of Tom Hanks' favorite movie. And he, they filmed, like, the porta potty, him looking at that as, as, like, a monkey considering a monolith, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, Poking at it with a stick. And it also spawns the island's industrial age. I thought that was kind of like the monolith, um, you know, makes uh, uh, the proto-humans use weapons and tools for the first time. This monolith got the whole island uh, set up in production mode. Now he's got to make this thing and he's burning things down. He's clear. He's clear cutting forest and all this stuff. 
it's it's a really tight way to tell a story with all these like internal references to 2001 him sitting there like you know figuring out how to like nap flint in real time and like banging the rock like i feel like i've seen youtube videos of frustrated monkeys trying to get into stuff that looks just like that Mm. um i i just thought it's 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 really uh, really great uh there is one moment that i am not sure i like um or that they could have played a little subtler and that's shocking considering how subtle they are in most of this movie um like like there's a scene toward the end where like i i noted what was happening when he gives his keys back to helen hunt before he takes off on this plane uh Mm. because you know it's got this this knife on it right and then at the end of the movie that comes back and they she has kept the car and she's giving him the car and she hands him the keys and while she's looking in the car or whatever getting her stuff he flips open that knife just kind of looks at it and you know gives this ironic like half eye roll thing that Uh is is so perfect in the moment he doesn't have to say anything you just know exactly what he's thinking i feel like they Mm -hmm. should have also done that and they did do it but then they followed up um when he goes up to get the 30 feet of rope that is the noose that he did the the suicide test with Mm -hmm. they did not need to have a scene where he explains that to wilson in my opinion, I think I got absolutely everything I needed to know from him hauling that thing back up. I think you're right, but that's only one half of that scene because the other half is the fight, um, the rupture, sure. and then the the makeup. And do you think that – I mean, I, it's an open question because I don't know. Like, do you think that they had fully sold Wilson as a character? Like, you know, I think – like, he Wilson was essentially a joke – until the 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 those those several scenes of him like you know having real conversations with Wilson, yeah, you're uh, right. But it's like y- yeah, then but but what else would they fight about? And that's kind of like the good Tom, yeah. bad Tom kind of thing. I like I, I said I don't think this this movie's perfect, um, and and that's not a very egregious sin in my opinion. Right? Like, okay, they overexplained right. one thing, big deal. Uh, but right. you know, I I, I might have tried to tighten it up there, uh, slight bit, and have them fight over something else. I also wonder why it was so important for him to jump. Like, it seems like if you just wanted to die, you could just do a header off of that, you know. Uh, like, what was the yeah. what was the really important thing about the – the uh, does, does he have afraid of heights? Like, just this three or four seconds of free fall f- uh, frightening you? Uh, I don't know. I guess dying in pain is a bad way to go, but, like, I don't think you'd feel anything if you threw yourself off that cliff. Yeah, and then hit your head on the rocks. Sure. The 100G deceleration at the bottom would would pretty much take care of all your consciousness uh, and all your bad teeth and anything else is wrong with you. (laughs) Oh, uh, speaking of bad teeth. Dude, there are two scenes in this movie that I can't Mm. bring myself to watch. uh, You know, that I I watched... I know the scenes you're talking about. Yeah. Through my fingers, it's it's that scene, the dentistry, the amateur uh, survivor dentistry, and then the huh? <laughs> dude. Huh? They really know yeah, how to build the tension. Yeah, in they scene. really do, man. Uh, that one, and when he punctures his leg in the water with the coral—that's oh, another one. Oh God, yeah, and the water, the blood just ga- ga- gashing out of him, man. Yeah. Spruce. I actually thought that when I was first seeing, it, I thought that'd be more of a thing, like him dealing with infection and whatnot. Because man, yeah. getting all that coral broken in there can't be good for you. Especially but I, when he takes see, the the bandage or whatever off the and, and they it's show so it. Fe- yeah, it's so gross. Um, 
But uh, I don't know. Gave him a pretty cool scar. I, it's, it seems like seawater cures everything because that was always his go-to. Like my feet bleeding, seawater. <laughs> Hands bleeding, seawater. Thigh bleeding. Guess what? More seawater. Uh, tooth hurting. Pack some seaweed with guess what? Soaked up seawater. Uh, sure. <laughs> I mean, you use what cure. you got. I mean, that's true. That's the only medicine he's got. So he's got to do it for everything. Uh, I want to talk about like. You know, this movie costs a lot of money. I don't even know where the money went to. I'm sure it's it's expensive to film on a remote location, and I know they yeah. actually did film a lot of this on a remote location. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, there was like a really like this uh, disaster sequence is no joke, um, and it's so effective in storytelling because we've just watched this Chuck guy go on these tangents about how time is important and you can't waste time. Don't make the sin of wasting time. He's trying to schedule every minute so he can savor every minute with his girlfriend, his fiance. And then in this disaster situation, I thought it was really poignant how the pilots pointedly say, hey, you need to get down and and buckle in. And what does Chuck do but just piss away time for the next two minutes? Uh Uh, like if I it's like I was just thinking how ironic that was, like if he sits down right now and puts his fucking uh, uh, pocket watch in his pocket, and gets everything together. Like, I don't know. Like, it's it's a cascade effect. Does he make it onto the island with the survive? Because that's the other thing. He, he's got the raft, but the survival kit uh, doesn't doesn't make it on because it gets caught in the wreckage. Um it's a really frightening thing, like because I've you know as uh, did you ever get the jump seat? No, I never did. Damn, because I thought it was really nostalgic. I actually got the jump seat on one of the big ones when I came back from Hawaii uh, that I that I went to on FedEx's dime. But it's real. It's nice. a really cool thing. Like on the smaller plane, you just literally sit up in the cockpit with the with the captain. Uh, in the larger planes, they have like a row of like you know four to six seats that are kind of like they show in the the picture. But I thought that was really nostalgic, and then the fact that like you know when the uh, the, the 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 locks broke on the uh, the 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 I forget what they call those cargo containers started roll. Yeah, I started rolling. They had the big safety netting that's supposed to like you know be the last ditch, and I'm like, there's no way that's going to hold when they hit the water and. Uh, the ship breaking up, the shipping, like, you know, you can see it kind of disappearing into the deep. All that stuff was horrific and just terrifying. And then once he gets to the safety of the raft, you have the jet engine and almost sucks him in. I've forgotten how much of a a production it was. I thought he kind of like blacked out, washed, but like those scenes on the high, that's the one thing as much as I love sailing and stuff. Like, I don't know what the fuck you do in even a well-provisioned boat. Like a thirty foot yacht sailing through seas like that <laughs> yeah. on a raft, good get the fuck out of here. No. It's terrifying. Yeah, no, you hope to drift to a deserted island, I guess, or better yet, a civilized island. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that, that's the other thing. Like him just walking around, like yelling at nobody for like the first two or three minutes. Uh, I thought was you know why he's still wearing his Christmas sweater was really effective. Yeah, and th- there are a couple of like really, really impressive shots. I think impressively timed with with uh, dialogue and other stuff. One of them is when he first wakes up on this beach and he's walking around. He's all disheveled. He's in shock, right? And he's just mm-hmm. doing what he knows how to do, which is walk around and make sure the packages are delivered, pick them up off the beach. But the way that like he's walking toward the camera and, and you can tell he spotted something on the beach and you're not sure what it is. Is it Mm -hmm. civilization? Is it another person? Like, what is it? And then the way that they just 
with the the tide just drift this FedEx package in uh, from the the corner of the frame is so perfect. Uh, yeah. And there's another really amazing shot when he comes back and he's talking to uh, Stan, played by Nick Nick Cersei, uh, about his suicide attempt, right? And and the the you know calm that came over him and the, the idea of just you know getting by somehow. Um, the way they frame that shot is Stan is hidden by Tom Hanks face. It's shot in profile here and he's talking about something. And as they're panning around, you're not sure who he's talking to. Uh, but eventually they pan far enough around that right as you realize what he's talking about, you also realize who he's talking to. And I think it's like this perfect coordination between the, the script, the actor, the, the cameraman, all of it uh, just works in perfect concert there. Uh, it's it's a beautiful shot. And it's almost like a four-minute one or two where it's just the camera spinning around the Tom Hanks. Yeah, and uh, then when he gets to the darkest parts of it, you know, it's it's staring him dead in the face, right? It's like, yeah, that's a powerful yeah. scene. And it reminds me, there's, there's a couple scenes, um, like one of the first times I became aware of that is the first time I watched Godfather because it opens on like this like five-minute pull into some dude's face. Like just how absorbing like a little bit of camera mode and like how much that can add to the storytelling itself, the camera work is because uh, you're right. Yeah. Like I, now that I'm thinking about it beat for beat. It's like, it's, it's really well choreographed. Oh yeah. I thought there's a lot of other things that um, they did were like things that if you, you pick up on rewatch, like um, when he finds the, the uh, assistant pilot or whatever the, the third in command was. And he says, not Alan Albert, because he had realized he'd called him Alan a couple times without him correcting on the plane. Yeah. And it's another one of those subtle things where it's like, they're telling you, you know, it's like he's, he's re- like, he just heard, you know, his friend, you know, Nick Cersei talk about his, realize I had no idea this guy was going through this. Am I even a good friend? And now he just realized that like, Oh my God, I didn't even know this guy. I fly this all the time and I didn't even know his name and this guy didn't even bother to correct me. I mean, like there's a lot of like kind of um, I I just love how they gave him all these men, these moments like they give him a lot of time to process the different, you know, like uh, stages of like grief, uh, like being in denial about like, well, help is going to come anytime, you know, bargaining. Well, if I do this and that and I, I, I thought this was really cool and, you know, him. I don't know. There's something really interesting about him burying the guy and having this service and then saying, that's it. And uh, just, you know, what, what do you do if, uh, what is the right way to pilfer a guy's body, but also give him dignity and, yeah, you know, um, and, and the, the idea in the, like survival situations, this is something that I, cause it's, it's something that I was like, you know, become aware of and is reading like a sapiens book, but just like, how much leisure time a person has if all you have to do is keep your dumb ass alive? Sure. And like a, a, a wilderness situation is reasonably abundant with resources. Like it's not that much time hunting and gathering and built and, and sheltering and clothing. Like there's so much more time for art and leisure. It's the, the bummer of it. In his case is there's no one there to share it with. Yeah. yeah. But like, and he's also, yeah. bad at it. that Helen Hunt portrait is God awful. <laughs> 
<laughs> it never really gets better. Like no. they, they have a couple of where he's 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 learned how to like grind up and make colors and stuff, and uh-huh. it's like nope, it's still still pretty bad. Four years, <laughs> you didn't get the ten thousand hours to perfect it. Mm-mm. But I thought that's like the realization that like you just got oceans of time to occupy yourself if all you really have to do is worry about your daily caloric needs and making sure you're 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 comfortable and uh, not too. I guess this isn't a too extreme environment. Tropical. You know, I'd like to see him do this in, a, in a, one of the Aleutian Islands. Uh, is it Aleutian hmm. or Alawit? I, I don't know how to. I just realized I I've it's never Aleutian. heard. Aleutian. I just realized I've never yeah. heard that island chain pronounced out loud. You'd think that's weird. In all the years I watched Dan- Most Dangerous Catch, they never never mentioned it. Yeah, that's <laughs> shocking. Uh, I will say that there's another good shot that I forgot about. Um, as he's leaving the island on, on his uh, raft... With you know the the mm-hmm. angel wings uh, sail and Wilson strapped to it, he looks back at the island. Um, there, there's a moment. Like, there are two moments in this movie where he ventures out a little bit farther than he's comfortable with. The first time, you know, he's unable to get past the waves that are breaking, and so he can't get out to the open ocean, and he washes back to the island. The second time, he manages to get out past it, and then he almost has this moment of regret reluctance like you know he he's yeah. on his way to safety or he he's he's headed down a path that is not as safe yeah. right as where he was before um and and they say everything they need to say there with just tom hanks looking back at the island and then us seeing the reverse shot of the island it says it all right like this of course this is a bad situation he doesn't want to be stuck on an island but he also survived on that island that is also the only bit of safety left in his life now he's leaving that there's that nifty shot where the island in the final like he doesn't like turn his back on it like uh, lot's wife you know or whatever uh it's just eaten by a shroud of mist and rain yeah which is why i think the why the sailors old time sailors used to be the most superstitious folk alive because it is a fucking trip to see a whole island like disappear behind the fog bank or something <laughs> come out of something and i thought it's a really effective like this like what and i thought it was really emblematic of like what he must feel like post rescue you know like there's a lot of really great scenes of him marveling at like look at this table full of food that's just just going to go to waste and look at like this big lighter i can just hit a button and make yeah. fire something that would take me a day to do and i i thought there's a lot of really good scenes of, of of showing like the unreality of it and the island disappearing like what do you do with that this is this is four years of your life you know uh, I wonder if it's like uh, the wires view of the prison, like the only day, the first day and the last day are the only <laughs> ones that are real to you. Uh-huh. Everything else was just, you know, these these experiences. Um, yeah, I find it hilarious that they serve him sushi, which is raw fish and crab legs. <laughs> and he just tosses yeah. them down. He doesn't gotta, want anything. Gotta to love it. crab. Gotta love crab. Yeah. Um, a lot of that. Why? OK, I want I got some some questions. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think he spared the angel package? I think that was a represent representation of his hope that he would get off the island. Like it was the only significantly marked package. Um, so yeah, he kept yeah, that around. A- and and if he would have ever ever had to open that, that's sort of him giving up. 
but mm. but I don't I don't know because he never opens it and he also does give up right he tries to kill yeah, he, himself he, so. tried, he, tried, he did the suicide test maybe he was yeah. going to do the test and then have like one final feast and then open up the package and then of course there's uh, also one of the funniest Super Bowl commercials of all time it was like oh, I think man. the year or two after it came out where he knocked on her and he's like so what by the way what was in that package he's like oh nothing much just a satellite phone GPS a receiver <laughs> uh, survival like you know water, a water desalinator just just silly stuff you know yeah. Um, but I thought it, it kind of muddies the movie a little bit for me, uh, huh. because his, the reason he makes it very clear, the reason that he wanted to survive and the reason he gave up hope was Helen Hunt. Uh, for sure. And they, they, they have this dual kind of like purpose of survival. Like, well, he had the main, the large main emotional unit in Helen Hunt. But when that spun out, he had the reserve auxiliary hope system of the angel wings to keep him going to give him purpose. Yeah. I felt, You're I don't right. know. I felt like they kind of probably in a better, like, I, 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 yeah, I don't even know why. It seems like an unforced error that like at some point in the, the writing process, they would have realized that they're literally having him straddle two different fences and uh and he's got wilson to represent a lot of that too so right you don't necessarily like, need all three of those things but but here might the, even been two sides of a pull like the island you know the safety and security and the life that he's built giving that up for the hope of the helen hunt and like having to let wilson go to get her but it's like a weird triangle love affair going on yeah, the problem is they want, they had the end of this movie, which needs that package to make sense, needs that package to show you that he's got this idea for what a future might look like at the end. You know, the the end of this movie is him essentially like choosing the the to pursue this uh, woman with the angel wings uh, in some way, in some form. So you kind of need that package to still be there at the end or... You know, you don't even need it to be there. You know, you could have him open it and him, you know, paint that on his cave wall or whatever, the the wings, and then just have him remember the wings because the audience is sure going to remember the wings at the end. You know, they yeah. had him, they had him painted on the, the sail. Like, yeah, you're right. You're I, right. They didn't I, need that package. I don't even know they needed the woman at the end. Like, honestly, because uh, I remember, I, I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast already, but it was just in there? passing yeah. that, like, when I was 24 years old, I remember being very confused about how I was supposed to feel about, you know, because, like, all, all movie experience, like, it reminds me of the first time I watched the. Uh, uh, what was it, Braveheart? And I realized, oh, shit. And the movie's not... The good guy doesn't win all the time. In fact, sometimes a good guy gets fucked royal, and you just have to deal with that after you're done with the movie. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Like, this is like, well, I just like, yeah, he's a, somehow she's going to have, like, you never gotten over him. And the idea that she's back with this guy, and there's a lot of, like, really weird mixed things. Like, the husband comes in and is like, you know what, Helen Hunt, she's just really distressed, you know. Uh, first she lost Bill Paxson, now she lost you. Uh, her tornado dissertation went up and, and 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 you're thinking like, okay, well this guy, she's like too distraught in the thing, and she and she sent him in there. But then like Tom Hanks observes, and it seems like she wants to go in, and the husband's like, oh no, you don't want to yeah. do this. I'm like, well, I don't know how I fucking feel about that. And then she shows up. Uh, I like. And now I guess as an adult, I just realized that this is just a really messy situation that, like, yeah. is going to make no one happy. Like, there is nothing you can do or say <laughs> no. as anyone in this that's a wrong answer. There's not a right answer. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's bummers for people all around. But 
I like the ambiguity. I like the the fact that like what her friend like, it's it's wild because I'm like I'm I, I this must be a tough movie to watch if you're in this situation where a loved one of yours has disappeared and it's been a few years because you know your friends and family say hey you need to let this guy go he's dead it's it's healthy to move on but you know you just know in your heart that he isn't mm-hmm. what does that mean like the the rational the healthy decision is to move on even in that ambiguity but like here's a movie where she's almost punished for it you know tom hanks yeah you know, he 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 carries it like a like a Buddhist monk. Like he doesn't like put it on. Like I think he does as about a good a job as as he can with like not burdening him with the you know, hey, I'm I'm not going to make me your problem. But I really, like I said, I just I in almost like the sense of like a leftovers episode. I really like that kind of just like melancholy. This sucks, and that's the way life is sometimes. Exactly. And then I feel like they fuck it up with the Texas lady. They do. I I feel like that's showing more like there is a there is a future for this guy. You know, he's he's at a little crossroads and he can, you know, decide to pursue something here. And in this case, it's the woman with angel wings, um, yeah. which, you know, plot wise, they needed that package just to get him there um, physically. But then whatever. I, I think the, the Helen Hunt stuff is maybe the most. You know, it's the second most engaging, but in a movie with not a lot of things that uh, happen, mm-hmm. uh, it stands out as, as something that is powerful because, man, this situation is so fucked up, especially once he shows back up. Like, yeah, there's all the grief and the confusion and the, uh, you know, whatever, the uncertainty of him maybe still being out there. But once he shows up. There is no way out of this situation that doesn't result in in some kind of regret. If she goes with the love of her life and makes a new life, she's abandoned this family that she built in the five years between sure. him disappearing and showing back up. There's regret in that. If she doesn't yep. go with this man and stays with her family, which that is the choice she makes. And I think it's the better of the two bad choices. Yes. Uh, there's a ton of regret about what could have been with Tom Hanks. So, like... sure. These are the kind of situations in life that do not provide easy answers, and the movie doesn't either, and I I really appreciated that. I really do. It's frustrating when I was younger, but now as old, I was like, man, that's really cool. And also, I'd love to see a cut where Mr. Big, uh, that's the guy who this is, right? It's uh, Sex in the City, Mr. Big. He's like, I don't know looking out the front window at this because like she you know oh my my husband and my kids asleep in bed that's before you started screaming chuck chuck <laughs> and he comes roaring up behind and you have like and he's just like he's like what the hell's going on out here and he just sees you guys making out in the rain he's like my worst nightmare you chuck you son of a bitch you should have stayed on the island chuck he's just like yeah just sitting there screaming in a glass box of emotion yeah because uh, that's that would be a hard thing to deal with, honestly. Um, For sure. Mm. And mm. I, I don't really like how he plays it when, you know, he they come to the FedEx office. I, I don't oh, like that. Yeah. He, he shouldn't need to, like, protect her from some perceived emotional mm-hmm. trauma. Uh, I can see a person doing that. I can definitely see a person sure. doing that and, and even telling themselves it's the right decision to make. But, like, yeah, no, nah, you have to let that person needs to process a lot of things and there's nothing yes. you can do. <laughs> no. Um, but, yeah, it's, but a, yeah, it's a tough just, position for him, too, for sure. It's it's weird. What did you think about, like, I, I thought, 
because some of this some of the stuff like I said in the the denouement kind of didn't really work for me. Uh, I also didn't think because one of the things I thought was interesting is when Tom Hanks's character Chuck realizes that he's kind of uh, uh, um, you know gone committed a boner with his buddy by not paying attention to his needs. And then he kind of like over like steps in there rolls like, you know, I've got some oncologist and some specialist and, you know, you can make some phone calls. And like the guy, Nick looks at him like, you know, what are you doing? Like, I, yeah, yeah. I appreciate you. Like, yeah, this is like too much too late kind of in, in a thing. And then like Tom Hanks, like that's just, he just, he just resumes like, Hey, I'm sorry. I wasn't there for you when Mary died. It's wild because I don't think that version of Chuck pre-Island would have followed through in any of the lessons he was beginning to learn in the first stage of Castaway. And it felt like a false Agreed. character moment. Yeah. It, it it feels like a changed character moment to me. It's it's like he's not necessarily apologizing for the act of not being there for him yeah. um, when his wife was dying of cancer. He's apologizing for being the guy he was when that was not happening. Avail- yeah. Yeah, I and, and if that, he should have seen had, it, he should have been a better friend, that kind of thing. I wonder if they could have had that conversation after the 360 rotating four-minute wonder, where yeah. like at the end of that, he's like, you know, I've been, th- I, oh, I was, th- I thought a lot about the island, and I, 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 I really was sorry that I, I couldn't be there for you for Mary or whatever, because like I said, it's just it's a couple things. It's, it, they weren't wrong. It just they didn't feel earned or they didn't feel like you know what what i don't know what would happen in in quote unquote real life gotcha but um what i will i will say he's he's driving illegally in this movie he comes back from (laughs) the island yeah well no uh surely his license is expired right he's been on the island five years they're only valid five years unless the day before uh he went off to the island he got his license renewed he's probably driving illegally Plus, he's not, he's still a deceased person. I would have loved to seen him like get a traffic ticket. Like, what is like, okay, you're driving an expired license, uh, but also you're not a legal entity to be charged. So at the time you committed to credit, you were dead. We're going to bring you back to life tomorrow. It would have been an really interesting kind of, I'd, I'd need to submit this uh, to that legal eagle guy that does uh, uh, cinematic legal cases. Like, what yeah, would yeah. have happened if Chuck had gotten arrested for. You know, driving without a license on the night before he got brought back to life. Castaway um, Two. It, it's basically like Double Jeopardy, uh, <laughs> except can you be charged with a crime if you're dead? Yeah, uh, Castaway Two, Civil Court. <laughs> uh, one, one, one. Another question I've got for you: Is this a Christmas movie? It it takes place on Christmas Eve. Oh, or the, the beginning of this takes place on Christmas Eve, right? Yes. Yes. And, and, and like the day before, because I guess he's flying to Russia and back. So uh-huh. I I don't think this is a Christmas movie. I think this is I don't either. A, a movie that features a little bit of Christmas decoration. Right. Yeah. Like there's a couple movies where like if there's a scene that's set in Christmas because it takes place over a long period of time, I don't think it the I don't think it automatically makes uh, a Christmas movie. The reason like that Die Hard is and this isn't is because Die Hard takes place entirely on Christmas. There's Christmas music being played. Uh, in fact, that's, into the that's plot sh- as well. This this doesn't. This is just decoration. Yeah, same with Lethal Weapon. Like Lethal Weapon, especially. Like there's several character moments that hinge on it being Christmas time, and like the yeah. you know the you know yeah. Well, I can't kill myself because it's Christmas. Like whereas this, like literally, the setup is Christmas. 
Um, and that's it. That's it. And, got, and he would have know. gone off to the island on another flight if it wasn't Christmas, right? It's not like, oh, it's right. Christmas, it and so inside. the plane yeah. crashes. Yeah. They yeah, <laughs> didn't yeah. run into Santa's sleigh mid-flight or something. Yeah. But I will say that maybe it's like half a Christmas movie or a 25% Christmas movie. So, like, you know. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if you want the fully leaded Christmas movies, go to christmas.ballmove.com and... Uh, right. Uh, be a club member or a patron because that's that's where you get uh, the no holds barred unapologetic christmas fucking movies what else do we do we have to talk about i got one more thing that i didn't know i don't know how i assumed that these things worked uh i guess i assumed that life rafts life rafts inflated with some like rapid intake pump of some kind like pulling air in very quickly mm mm-hmm. mhm and so I was wondering when he opens this underwater, what is what are they filling the the raft with? Apparently, these things have like CO two canisters in them, just highly yeah. compressed CO two that then rapidly, you know, just opens and rapidly fills the thing. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's cool. A lot of the next gen, a lot of the next gen flotation rafts and uh, personal flotation devices have moisture sensors, so the when they get submerged uh. in water, they instantly detonate and deploy. Uh, which is uh, a plus if you're knocked unconscious, uh, as people often are yeah. in a marine time disaster. So uh, not yeah, so like great if you're in a the... rainstorm uh, with a couple of packages of these things. No, 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 no. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. I I wonder about like how moist because like especially on a PFD because I've seen them advertised in like for in like um, sailing you know like serious like uh, cro- cross ocean sailing type competitions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they cost like hundreds of dollars, not thousands of dollars. Like you get wet all the fucking time in like a rough passage in the North Atlantic. Like it's coming to sheet. The water's coming down in buckets. So there must be something that like it's not just like mist or moisture. It's like, right. no, no, no. This whole compartment is flooded internally, making a circuit, you know, uh, setting off the charge, whatever. Because, yeah, yeah, I had the same question. Like, how does it tell the difference between just standing outside in a nor'easter and being three foot underwater, you know, like it's 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 kind of a theoretical uh, boundary there in some of those storms. Yeah. Uh, so I want to talk real quick about the awards that this movie was nominated for and won uh, the Academy Awards. Uh, it was nominated for two awards, uh, Best Actor for Tom Hanks and Best Sound. And it did not win either of them. Uh, it's interesting because. You know, it wasn't, it was nominated for Best Sound, which there's not a lot of sound in this movie, although it might have been nominated for the absence of sound to a large degree because that's sort of defining uh, of this movie, right? The They even took out the creature noises that would have been present on an island like this uh, to, to yeah. further enhance the feeling of isolation. So you don't hear a lot of birds, you don't hear any uh, like insects or anything. It's all just silence, waves, Tom Hanks, isolation. Uh, the other thing you don't hear a lot of is music. Did <laughs> what do you what do you do you think that they put a soundtrack out for this movie? I don't know because I looked up because I, I had the same question. Like Alan Silvestri scored twenty four of the movie's one hundred and forty three minutes of runtime, and that includes seven minutes for the final credits. The scene. credits, yeah. Okay, or, yeah, the final credits, not the credit scene. So that means, what, there's 17 minutes of score throughout the rest of the movie? One of them was like a Russian version of Jingle Bell Rock. 
which is not <laughs> okay. an original. So th- this might be the the lowest uh, effort per pay movie score of all time. It could very well could be. Yeah, uh, not a lot of music in this. I, I guess the only real song uh, is that theme. That theme castaway theme for the end credits uh they did put out a soundtrack for this just if you're wondering damn what did they fill it with you ask uh gilligan's island outtakes sure it it was robert zemeckis banging coconuts together the entire time (laughs) (laughs) while tom hanks was playing a reed yeah i I mean essentially it's it's it is selections from uh robert zemeckis and alan silvestri's former collaborations together so think back to the future part two's end theme think uh on castaway think uh what lies beneath in credits think uh who framed roger rabbit's suite they they, there is a single there is one track on this entire 10 track album that is actually from this movie it's the end credits the, the rest maybe, of it is just back to the future music. Like, what the fuck? That's weird, because I thought it'd be a fun album to do. Just, like, imagine, like, a an ASMR experience where it's just crashing sounds and, like... Yeah, uh, they have co- those. Like, every 30 seconds, a coconut drops, or maybe it's 30... It's 30, it's, it's uh, um, three minutes of Tom Hanks scraping with the wood thing, just... And then him just know, shouting, I, Wilson! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> There's a whole yeah, track. Like, like, yeah, like because like I think one of the reasons it got a uh, an Oscar for sound is the fact that like nothing it turns out nothing on the island was usable in terms of sound. They had the Foley and ADR, literally everything, because the pounding surf I, was I so loud. So that like all that stuff when you hear him scraping with someone in the studio in Hollywood is like trying to duplicate and ape that stuff. The rocks banging together. Yeah. Uh, so like that's kind of like you know if you have the ADR and Foley, a hundred and 20 minutes of a film that's a and and have it be seamless like yeah that's exactly what it sounds like to be on a, de- a, a desert island in the pacific uh, yeah i i, I could see that being a, like an impress also like that seems like the oscars on the technical side love to do that kind of like oh why did this thing get uh, uh makeup and costuming uh, awards oh, it's because oh, it's because you didn't notice the costuming and, and, and makeup huh must have been pretty fucking effective then. Yeah, like, yeah. it's one of those kind of like huge amount of work that's not obvious. They kind of like to call that stuff out um, because uh, it's impressive to them. You know, like, Th- damn, then wait, none of this was usable. You, you, you duplicated it all. Holy shit, give him an Oscar. Th- then it's amazing that the score didn't win because he did nothing. He did nothing. <laughs> you didn't notice didn't it? That's because it wasn't there. Oh, didn't look at though. that. Yeah, yeah. Did he, did, did, didn't he, though? Uh, uh, and then Russell Crowe and the Gladiator took home all the all the golds mm. uh, that year. It won Best Picture, it won Best Actor, all that stuff. So that's a fine movie, but I wonder that this might be a sneaky year to go back and evaluate how we feel about that. Because like, was do you know what the other big movies were that year? Because like, man, was Gladiator that good, or was that just a weak year? Because Gladiator, I don't think, is like a once in a decade film. It's good, it's entertaining, I like it. It's, I a, agree. it's a pretty brainy action film, but and I don't know that the Russell Crowe performance is particularly Did he get stellar. An Oscar like, for that, he won it. Yeah, uh, beating out Tom Hanks and Ed Harris for Pollock, which I didn't see. Uh, Jeffrey Rush on Quills, Javier Bardem. Huh. Uh, it, so the Best Picture category had Gladiator, which won. Um, then it had Chocola. It had Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It had Aaron Brockovich and Traffic. 
huh. Yeah, that that's sick. Yeah, none of those. Like, Traffic's pretty good, but... Um, Surprise hmm, this didn't get nominated for Best Picture, frankly. It's so yeah. different from anything else. Um, Came out right in the middle of Oscar season, too. Yeah. Surprising. Uh, I got two. I got a couple pieces of Tom Hanks trivia that I thought were fun that they worked into this film because you know him and Zemeckis go a, a long, long way back. Uh, they gave him bottles of Dr Pepper on the return flight uh, as as per Forrest Gump's favorite drink and Forrest Gump. Uh, mm-hmm. Hanks first television role was Kip Wilson in Bosom Buddies back in 1980, and uh, also married to wife Rita Wilson, uh, okay. working in the the Wilson theme there. And finally, uh, in the movie You've Got Mail, uh, he says to uh, Annabelle and Matt, uh, I know you, I know you, in exactly the same way he says it to Wilson when he's restoring his face. So there's a couple of little right. fun uh, Tom Hanks Easter eggs in this Tom Hanks vehicle uh, hmm. that, uh, yeah, I I wouldn't have got, because I've never seen You've Seen Mail, or You've Got Mail. I, I and- did see it once, but... I, I vaguely remember Bosom Buddies. I can remember the uh the, the theme song and a really young time but I don't yeah, so like uh I, I but I appreciate it. I appreciate the, the Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. And that's gonna do it for, for Castaway. It's probably the last prestige movie of uh, two thousand twenty. Um I've had quite the year of prestige movies and I expect to have quite the year next year, twenty twenty one. Perhaps uh, theaters will be something again. Perhaps first-run movies will be. Uh, it sounds like we're going to get some first-run movies. Wonder Woman's coming out. Uh, everything yeah. on Warner Brothers is going to be coming out on HBO Max. Uh, Tenet's supposed to be coming out real soon, if it's not available already. Uh, definitely think some things I'm interested in seeing. We get the first-run movies come back. But uh, this is it for 2020, the 20th anniversary of Castaway. Uh, thank you for listening to... to um, bald move prestige this year really appreciate your guys's listenership and support and hope to see you back in 2021 for some more great movies until then i'm aaron and i'm jim see you next year